Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. They're incredible sheets. They're incredible bed sheets that were inspired by NASA. They use silver-infused fabrics and make temperature-regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature. And let me tell you a little something about myself. When I first moved to New York City, I essentially went to a corner bodega, bought a set of sheets that were made out of what felt like cardboard, and that's what I slept on for like years. I thought, I guess I thought I just wasn't even worth more or like, I just didn't even know that comfort was possible. And then I started like actually realizing like, oh, I don't have to live like this and buying actual sheets that made sense. And truly the temperature regulating property of these NASA inspired sheets by Miracle Made are like the apotheosis of adult living. Like you can live with comfort, with temperature regulating. The funny thing is I thought temperature regulating was just like something you had to just deal with your whole life. That There was no sheet that could help you with that. Your body just went through wild temperatures and that just, you know, sucked and you had to just deal with it. But you don't have to deal with it because you can get miracle made sheets. They're self-cooling for better sleep. They're also, this one's really fun and it's actually really important for my husband, they're self-cleaning because they're infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. And because of that, it's designed for your skin. So it stops the bacteria so it doesn't clog your pores and it doesn't cause as much, you know, breakouts and acne, which is a big problem for my husband. Since we started using Miracle Made, my husband has just had way less of the breakouts and the clogged pores. And like I said, they're just like, luxurious. Um, They're designed for a person who's graduating from the cardboard sheets of their youth. (laughs) Graduate from those, you guys. So go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's T-R-Y, trymiracle, M-I-R-A-C-L-E dot com slash fake the nation. And at the checkout, use the promo code fake the nation and you'll get three free towels and you'll save an extra 20%. And Miracle's so confident in their product that it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you're going to get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fakethenation and use the code fakethenation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fakethenation to treat yourself. And thanks so much to Miracle Made for sponsoring this episode. And thanks so much to Miracle Made for regulating my body temperature at night uh, with the sheets. I really love them. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Fake the Nation, episode 392. Hello, hello. This is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we stock people's home prices on Zillow. I'm your host, Nagin Farsad, and I have to be honest, I'm the last person in America. Um, I had no idea that people look up their friends' homes on real estate apps. This is entirely new to me. Today, we're going to talk about this truly odd form of stalkerism. We'll also talk about the Iowa caucuses, but more importantly, what progressives should be messaging to get through 2024. Uh, Today, I am so excited by this panel. Oh my God, it's panels like this that just brighten up my day, my week, really, um, and make me just uh, excited all over again that I have a podcast with which to have conversations with such wonderful people. First up, we have with us host of the podcast, Lady Journey. I know her from being a stand-up comedian, um, you know, based here in New York City. I've had the great, great, great pleasure of seeing her perform live. And and she's just gosh darn wonderful. It is Katie Hannigan. Hey, Katie. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, so excited to have you. And also joining us. Now, you have also, um, the, these are both return panelists on the show. Um, and we like to bring out the the host of the podcast, Words to Win By, um, at critical points during the electoral process because she's also a messaging uh, researcher, um, a campaign advisor, just a, 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 a an all-around 
brilliant guru of words, words like the podcast suggests to win by. Um, And she does that for progressive causes because she's just so great. um, And I'm so excited to hear her thoughts today. This is the wonderful Anat Schenker Osorio. Hey, Anat. Thank you. We like to think that politics is theater with real bullets. So I'm hoping to be I'm hoping to be a crossover, a non-deadly. I'm far away. I'm in California. (laughs) Can't shoot you. Um, So glad to have you guys on the show. And before we get into it, I just want to remind listeners that if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. We just released a bonus um, for for subscribers at the $4 level where Judy Gold and Christian Finnegan talk about the eight things you should never say to your partner in an argument. Spoiler alert, we had said all of them. Uh, So listen to um, the bonuses that come with a subscription at patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. I feel like they're, you know, we really let our hair down in these bonuses. And I was look, trying to look up what you can buy for $4 um, on the subway right here. And I didn't have service, but I did manage to find that you can buy a snowman um, cookie cutter shape uh, for $4. So either you buy a snowman cookie cutter shape for yourself for $4 or... Support the show for four dollars a month at patreon.com slash Nikki Thank you so much to everyone who supports the show. It really like um warms the cockles of my heart as it as it were. All right, let's get into it with topic number one. So a friend of mine recently admitted that she, that she always looks at her friend's apartments on Zillow. And I was shocked because I just like didn't know that this is something anyone did. But then I found out that it's epidemic levels common. We even saw a piece about it in Forbes from Anna Davies. And I just, you know, before we get into the piece, I wanted to ask, had you heard about this phenomenon? Have you done it? Um, Are are you embarrassed or are you you out and proud about this practice? I don't know. Tell me. I've never done this. This is totally new to me. I... um, I guess I'm not even in the realm of possibility of owning a home. So for me, it feels like almost just too fantastical. And I'm also assuming that no one I know owns their home, too. So I guess I could Google people's rental, you know, and then feel concerned for them. But. Right, it's, it's like, oh, I can do that, or also I can look up the price of homes in King's Landing in Game of Thrones, because that's <laughs> as realistic as any of it is. Um, Anat, have you heard of this phenomenon? Uh, I had not heard of this phenomenon, but I will say I do own a home in California, and when we first sent our older kid to preschool and he started having playdates, which, you know, I don't recommend, if you can cut that off before it begins. Good idea. And he came home from the first few playdates and he said to me, Mommy, I want a house with an upstairs. And I was like, oh, your little friend's parents are too wealthy. We may be no longer having these playdates. But (laughs) yeah, so I think there is a phenomenon. I mean, there's always been a human phenomenon of sort of relative wealth and comparison. And I think that technology is just allowing us to do that. To me, the most interesting thing about that article is that it really points to a massive cultural difference that we have in U.S. culture, which is we don't ask people about money right? Money is a taboo subject. And it's actually one of the main ways that we know within the workplace uh, makes it so inequality can prosper. Because we have this cultural taboo around talking about money, it means that people don't ask each other their salary. Whereas like in immigrant communities like mine, you know, it's like, is that a new zit? And also how much are they paying you? And so- It is a weird thing to do, but also breaking the taboo around talking about money would be a really good way to help puncture capitalism. So counterpoint. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I mean, Katie, like one of the things I I wonder um, if if this spoke to you at all, because this woman was sort of like I looked at at people's um, uh, uh, home values on Zillow and, and it always felt like weird um you know there was like a little shame element and then she started really asking like so how did you 
t- buy this house or like talk to me about the process of buying this house and it kind of like demiss the demystified the process of buying a house um yes it, did that feel like something because i i was like oh that's just kind of, that's like a nice silver lining to this you know yeah to turning it around for me it was so interesting the relationship to money and it changing as you growing older i read a really incredible book which i can't recommend enough it was called the psychology of money And uh, a lot of the book is about um, why we're motivated to spend, why we're motivated to make flashy purchases. And and oftentimes you'll see somebody who has like a brand new car. I don't know cars, so I can't even say any. A Mercedes or something fancy. (laughs) And you think, oh, my gosh, they must be so rich. Uh, I wish that was me. But then when you, uh, upon closer inspection, it is revealed that that's just a guy leasing a car who lives in his mom's basement. And I think maybe similar with some of these homes. Like you're looking, your friend has a $1 million apartment. You're like, wow, she must be rich. Meanwhile, she's eating beans every night. Right, Thinking right, she made right. a terrible mistake and now she's house poor. So I, I do like the... Um, the demystifying the process of buying a home. And and also I think, you know, I talk to women about money a lot too because I think it's interesting to see how little we learned growing up about it. Yeah, I mean, I also, it's funny because like comedians will be, talk about gigs or whatever and then we sort of like stop short of like talking about numbers. And I was at a gig recently where a bunch of comedians were earning like slightly different amounts. And mm. one comic just said to me, how much are you making? Yeah, I will tell you how much I'm making. And then let us together go ask the two men on the lineup how much they're making, you know. And we just like got down to the bottom of the rates, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it felt well, first of all, we weren't being screwed, so that was nice. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? I, we were just, like, real ready to be feel screwed, and we, we weren't being screwed. Um, and maybe all four of us were being screwed, but just we weren't in, in, among amongst each other were being screwed. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I do think that's right or not. There's something about, about spending money, and there's also something about, I don't know, is there, is, is there a way to, like, not feel like, oh, I want the house that my kids doing that play date at that's two stories or whatever you know what I mean is there a way to better our human spirit of comparison I mean I think that you know when we're talking about the vibe session which maybe will come up when we speak later a lot of people's feelings of privation or satiation are actually not absolute, they're relative. So it really does emerge out of a basis of whatever your anchor is and what you think you ought to be doing. And that's generally just kind of a social proof thing. But the most important way to puncture that, both to actually earn more. So I'll just give you a super concrete example. Job listings for full-time positions, and this is across professions, that do not list salaries increase inequality because men, on average, will ask for a higher starting salary than women will. And, you know, we know why, and there's all sorts of reasons, been very, very well backed up. So the simple act, for example, anytime somebody asks me to share a job and they're like, do you know anybody great? I have a policy and I say, I'd love to share that out. I'd love to to go tap my network for folks who are really, really good. I have a policy. I will not share a job unless it has a salary in it. And I think that all of us need to maintain a line of transparency because it is in that opacity and it is in that ambiguity that screwing happens, right? Screwing happens in the dark most of the time. (laughs) And so when we get over this cultural taboo of talking, I mean, this is a lot of what the labor movement is. It is about creating a collective demand. And you can't create a collective demand unless you have an open conversation about what's actually going on. And what's actually going on on the purchase side is what we call here the Bay Area baby tax. If you have a house in the Bay Area and that is like New York, it means that your parents have helped you. That is what it means. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Or it means that you're 22 years old and you invented an app that none of us like understand or can pronounce. Those are basically the two (laughs) options. And also your parents helped you. And 
not being honest about that is what makes people feel like, oh, I'm doing something wrong. Oh, I'm not working hard enough. Oh, I'm not clever enough. Oh, I'm not talented enough. When in reality, the big thing that people with property did is that they picked the right womb. And unless we are open and honest about that, you know, we can't sort of decimate this generational wealth that certain groups of people, especially white people, have and people of color do not. And so I think some transparency would be a good first step. Uh, I love all of that. I have one last question, Katie, which is that like there's now this, you know, people are using this app and, and this one really talked about having to kind of quit. The, the title of our piece is actually quitting um, Zillow stalking, you know, uh, and and so it it kind of tur- it's it's funny because it's like we look at social media as something that hurts teenage girls or whatever because of the comparison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we're, it's like there is a, this a similar airbrushed quality to Zillow totally. comparing. Um, do you feel like real estate apps are just like just figuring out new and innovative ways of making us fucking hate ourselves. <laughs> well, I think you spend you spend money outside of your means when you think everybody else is doing it and you don't right. see what the true story is. Yeah, it's definitely a parallel to social media. It's like, yeah, your friend has a nice house, but you don't know if they're living way beyond their means, paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, I think that contributes to people overspending. I'm a big, I'm very into minimalism. I'm very into like living under the budget, keeping the overhead low. And the payoff is that, you know, I have money saved and I don't have to worry. Uh, The stress of living paycheck to paycheck and also owning like a jet ski like I just can't <laughs> I can't handle it but so I right. think you go you go to someone's house it's amazing you're like oh my gosh they must be doing well but it's like you have no idea there's that's the difference between riches and wealth right like riches right. who wear it externally yeah but you know you might have huge debt five hundred thousand dollars of you know credit card debt right <laughs> Um, okay, folks, we are going to take a quick break to learn about our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll continue talking. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Ugh, folks, I mean, first of all, it's a personal finance app that helps you find and cancel unwanted subscriptions and it monitors your spending and it helps you lower your bills. But that's headline news, okay? What it has done for me, it has reminded me of the absolute ridiculous world of things that I have subscribed to. And why have I subscribed to them? Why have I wasted my money in such a way? And thank God that Rocket Money has come around to show me that, hey, Nagin, you don't need a subscription to an obscure Brazilian film archive, do you? One of the things that I found for me once that was really upsetting was that I was paying for a subscription twice. It was an educational app. And you think an educational app isn't going to do you that way, but you know what? It might. It also lowered a bill for me. Lord, my cable bill. Yes, I still pay for cable. Don't worry about it. And then the other great thing is when you are trying to get rid of these subscriptions, you just do it with one tap. You don't have to like call customer service or whatever, all the other miserable things that you do when you're trying to get rid of a subscription. It just does it with one tap. That's one of the actually best things about it because I've had such a hard time in the past trying to unsubscribe from something myself. It lowers your bills for you by up to 20%. 5 million users. It has helped save an average of $720 a year, which makes sense for me because that's about as much as, that's about what I was saving. And with over $550 million in canceled subscriptions, that's what they've achieved. I mean, you've heard me talk about Rocket Money before. It has really improved my relationship with subscriptions. I'm going to just tell you that much. So stop wasting your money on things that you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Guys, cancel those unwanted subscriptions at rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Today's show is sponsored by Factor. You guys, I totally was a factor person before they even sponsored this show because they're so delicious. And when you're constantly busy and just need a few nights of meals a week to just not have to cook, 
like factors incredible. And then for me, here's the other incredible thing is they have these delicious keto meals because I try not to eat carbs and they have these wonderful keto meals. And me and my husband have just been rejoicing in factor meals. So here's their deal. They're ready to eat. They're fresh. They're never frozen. They're chef crafted, dietitian approved. They're also ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week. And like I said, I had like the keto stuff, but they also have Calorie Smart. They have Protein Plus. There's more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Um, I had one of their little green juice shots that I really enjoyed. And oh my God, I just remember having this one meal. It was like grilled chicken situation with like a, I want to say like a creamed spinach situation. Oh, so delicious. I remember also having like a cauliflower mash situation. I mean, they really make the veggies taste delicious. This ain't your grandma's veggies. Mm -mm. They make them fun and delicious and not at all like, oh, I'm eating healthy. It's not like that. It's like, this is fun and delicious. There's no prep, no mess. Like I said, they're ready to heat and ready to eat. So you don't have to prep, you don't have to buy stuff, ingredients, and da da da. I mean, if also, if you're like me and you're just like not terribly confident in the kitchen, you're gonna love Factor. All right, so here is what I think you should do. I think you should head to factormeals.com, all right? Head, head to factormeals.com slash fakethenation50 and use the code fakethenation50 to get 50% off. That's code FAKETHENATION50 at factormeals.com slash FAKETHENATION50 to get 50% off. It is such a good deal. And we are back. And I am so excited about this uh, next segment because it's 2024 and I know everyone is freaking out and (laughs) I don't want people to freak out. I want this to actually be a good year for us if it's at all remotely possible. Um, Now, Anat is one of the foremost experts on progressive messaging in America. We met actually because I was doing some political ad writing with some other comics. And she came in um, to, to, you know, consult with us on how to what 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 kind of messages are working on people and i was immediately wowed by her ability to boil things down to be both communicator and therapist in the arduous task of political communication so today we're going to pick her brain about 2024 and with that i actually just want to first talk about donald trump's win in iowa and ask both of you was this um a surprise katie you go first and then let's see from the expert what it all really means uh well well, I'm I'm definitely not an expert, but I did feel surprised in the same way that I felt surprised in 2016, where I keep thinking like, of course, this isn't going to happen again. Of course, this isn't going to happen. And I felt the rug pulled out from under me like, oh, my gosh, I <laughs> it is happening. It's happening all over again. And, you know, there's definitely been a temptation to bury one's head in the sand. Yeah. Um, especially during the the last part of last year and the early part of this year. Like, if I don't look, if I don't look at it, then I don't have to think about it and I don't have to. Um, you know, deal with the consequences. But yeah, I'm definitely feeling like I've just had a cup of coffee that's too strong, spinning out, spiraling. And it's not a great yeah. feeling. It's not uh, a great, I'm, way, I'm not feeling good about the year. <laughs> by the way, like in terms of you feeling like putting your head into the sand is, 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 um, you know, is something, you know, you could do to survive 2024. I was talking to these journalists, um, editors at a major newspaper, and uh, they were like, oh, political coverage is really down this year. Like, nobody wants to read it. And I'm like, oh, what do they read instead? Thinking like they read all about, um, you know, Beyonce's tour costumes or something fun. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, no, they're reading about Israel and Ukraine. And I was like, oh. (laughs) All right. So they're changing. They're they're just switching from one form of misery to another form of just witnessing a ton of suffering. And it's all of it's horrible. Um, But but Anat, tell us, what did you make of the win in Iowa for Donald Trump? So one percent more or less of the U.S. population lives in Iowa. That's when you count. (laughs) Uh That's when you count all the people, the children, ineligible, you know, can't vote for 
age sure. or citizenship, whatever. And of that 1% of the U.S. population, less than 3% of Iowa voters turned out. Um, part of that is because obviously only Republicans vote in a Republican primary yeah. uh, in that state. That's not true in every state. New Hampshire people can cross over. But they had around all told a 2.7% turnout of all voters. So what do I make of Iowa? What I make yeah. of Iowa is even <laughs> once you control for the fact that it was cold as fuck and snowy as yeah. fuck and that was tough, Republican enthusiasm is in the toilet Despite okay. <laughs> the fact that they are not the incumbents. So generally speaking, enthusiasm from the incumbency, which would be the Democratic side right now, is normally very low. Because in the United States, we have a pattern in presidential elections where the out party is much more enthusiastic than the in party, and people yeah. generally want to vote for a change. So what I would say is that credit where due, MAGA is extraordinary at the fake it till you make it. See me name checking the beginning of your podcast. I'm working <laughs> it. <laughs> and crowing about the least little thing. They essentially got 17 people to turn out for Trump, and he has declared himself king of America. And they do that over and over and over again. And on the one hand, I actually think it's great, sorry, Katie, if you, you know, have ulcers, that this was a jolt <laughs> and a cup of coffee for you. I obviously don't wish you ill health. But America does need to wake the fuck up that fascism is on the march. It's been on the march so that we can marshal back the defiance that brought us to victory in 2022, in 2020, in 2018. And by the way, in the preponderance of the special elections that occur in the odd years in between there. So what I would say is that, yes, this is the fascism that is here. It's been here all along. It's time we wake up and take it seriously. And they're the losing team. They lose a lot. They lost recently. They make believe that they have a lot of power but once again, the many are going to defeat the money. Ooh, the many are going to defeat the money. I like that. Um, yes, well, that's a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it, absolutely. Um, you know, in a in a recent article, Anat, you talked about lessons that we can learn from Taylor Swift and the Avengers in approaching 2024. What What are those lessons? Yeah, so on the flip side, Let's be honest about the lack of enthusiasm from the Democratic base and the real challenges. You know, I'm a person who subjects herself to focus groups constantly. Uh, mm. The greatest possible cure for ego, Drew Weston says this, the greatest possible cure for ego is empiricism. There is nothing that will puncture the I'm a genius uh, balloon more than people in a focus group being like, who wrote this shit? This shit's stupid. <laughs> this is in this yeah. way. It's kind of like stand up comedy sitting behind oh, yeah. the two way mm -hmm. mirror, some ways worse because they don't know you're watching and they're like, <laughs> this is some stupid shit some idiot wrote. I don't like yeah. this at all. Right. So a lot of brutal. That, but brutal. no, but I also I love that you and stand up comedians share this particular form of like it shitting on your face to your face like yeah it's, masochistic uh, it's, it's <laughs> yes it's like you really enjoy um being uh punched in the gut that way and <laughs> probably we also share the fact that people who do not subject themselves to this on a nightly basis they're like, I know what the Democratic Party should do. I know yeah. what the magical <laughs> message is. And in your case, right, yes. I know what's funny. I could yeah. totally kill it. And I'm like, please, yeah. please, sir. Please, <laughs> sir, with your 14 seconds yes. of knowledge and information. Because surely whatever idea you've come up with, we haven't thought of, right? And it's just merely a magical <laughs> incantation. So going back, you see, I was trying to avoid it, but I'm going to come to it. We're in a tough spot. I mean, the reality of public opinion is that rightly or wrongly, people do not feel, regardless of what the economic numbers say, and I have lots of things to say about this, uh, 
they don't feel that they have benefited financially. They're still feeling strapped. They're still feeling strained. That Zillow house, that is not theirs. And they are very unhappy about it. So there's all of the vibe session around the economy and genuinely- Can you explain that term for listeners who might not know? Yeah. So that is like a pundit term created to explain the difference between what are actually objectively good economic numbers in terms of job growth, in terms of controlling inflation, in terms of wealth outpacing, or sorry, uh, jobs and wages outpacing inflation. Like by objective measures, things are going pretty good and Biden's done a pretty good job, especially considering what he inherited. But public sentiment around, is the economy good? Do you feel good? You know, that there is basically a Grand Canyon between those two things. And people have shorthanded that, the vibe session, as opposed to a recession, which would be like an actual material problem. It's people's perceptions of it. And as we know, arguing with people's feelings is not a winning message, either in a romantic relationship or in a you should vote for me relationship. So both for economic reasons and really truly for the reasons of Gaza and choices that this administration has made, uh, especially among young people, it's real. It's not make-believe that people are not feeling enthusiastic about the proposition. And they're also bored. I mean, this is my pet theory. Like the reality show casting people, like they really got lazy this time around. And instead of Mm -hmm. casting archetypes, we've already had this election. Like we had these two people to choose (laughs) from. And American voters have been conditioned to think of politics as a reality show that takes place in D.C. And... We did this in 2020, and now we've got these same two dudes again? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, you couldn't find anybody else. And so at some level, people are tuned out because this is utterly boring. It's uninteresting. We've had this literal Mm, matchup before. So the Taylor Swift thing, where that emerges from and the use of pop culture I was fortunate enough to get to work on um, the Brazilian election in 2022, which was a contest, a showdown between two aging former presidents. I don't know Mm. if that sounds familiar, (laughs) Uh, where young people were not feeling either one. It was a mirror image of ours because the guy in power was right wing. The guy who had been president was left wing. The guy who had been in prison for corruption was left. But Young people were basically like, fuck you very much. I don't feel either of these people. So what the movement did to boost youth turnout by 47%, and by youth, I mean 16 to 18-year-olds, they have a lower voting age, is attach on to pop culture. There was a BTS tour. Who knew BTS big in Brazil? And that tour was called, in non-grammatical English, Speak Yourself. And so they did an entire latch on via Lollapalooza, via touring, via this BTS that made voting an act of defiance, defiance against authoritarianism, which absolutely is what Bolsonaro is and represents the same with MAGA, Trump on down the ticket. And so this idea that if you don't decide, they'll decide for you, that defiance message is a way to take this understandable malaise, especially from traditional Democratic voting blocs, young people, queer people, people of color, unmarried women, and say, you know that feeling? They're going to take away your freedoms. And basically, the only one who can stop it is you. So in that contest, both latching on to pop culture because something's got to infuse this shit with something new and interesting, harnessing defiance, and making sure that the antagonist-protagonist relationship is between MAGA Republicans who want to take away our freedoms and voters who can ensure a better future. Notice that the protagonist is not Democrats because no one is buying that Democrats are coming to save us. So... um. So that's really interesting. One of the things that you mentioned, uh, taking away freedoms, reminds me of the first episode of this current season of Words to Win by. Um, and, and Katie, I'm curious your thoughts on this. Like you talk about 
using freedom as like a thing that Democrats are, are offering. Um, and and Katie, like, where do you think we are sort of on the left about being patriots and, and taking on the mantle of freedom? Is that something that you feel like comes naturally or unnaturally for well, I th- your cohort? I agree with a not that I think in general, the vibe is it's a lot more fun to kind of criticize Joe Biden, criticize the Democratic Party, right. especially especially in the age group of millennials, where your identity is really tied into kind of like having a snarky take, having mm-hmm. a bit of information that somebody else doesn't have. And, um, you know, I think that we are missing that kind of uh, inspired feeling that we all had. And like, I remember being so inspired in 2008, my first year in New York City, I voted by absentee ballot in my home state of Indiana and felt like, wow, I really made my small difference in the country. And I, it's just definitely not here this time around where I'm kind of like looking, you know, kind of like doing this, looking at the election. I don't want to look, but I feel like I need to, it's like a train accident, you know? Um, but I, I love, I love that whole article about messaging. I, I find it inspiring. I find it hilarious in a way, because I remember in the 2016 election, they were saying, the Republicans were saying that they, they're the rebel fighting group. It was like an analogy to Star Wars, yeah. which is hilarious, that they're putting themselves on the side of Luke Skywalker. <laughs> it's hilarious and ass backward. Um, but you could see how using some kind of simple analogy like that mobilized people because who doesn't want to feel like they're, you know, fighting Darth Vader. (laughs) Right. Well, and I, you know, and, and one of the things that I think is frustrating about that is like in terms of who's actually fighting for freedom, blah, blah, blah. The, the governor, the current governor of um, Pennsylvania ran on a message of I'm fighting for your freedoms. Like we are the party of freedom um, and, and really hanging his head, I guess, on, on abortion rights. Um, Anad, is that like something that you think will could carry us through 2024 i am like i feel like a a patriot like a dorky level i have an american flag at home that i got that flew over congress i keep it in a safe place it's like a treasured item i have the little flag that my parents waved at their like citizen ceremony a naturalization ceremony um i from when i was a child like i am i have those feelings but it's like not in it just it's it's, it's like not what all of my kind of uh, coastal elites the you know it's not the vibe they're bringing necessarily but couldn't it be couldn't that be the thing that we do yeah I think uh, two things that you both are raising, and it's funny because it came up tacitly in the last segment too. So Katie, a lot of what you're talking about has a name in psychology. It's called social proof. It is what I sometimes refer to as the middle school theory of messaging. It is where people do the thing they think people like them do. So when you see a big old line, I was just Mm. recently in Santa Barbara, all these big old lines in very specific places, it's a natural human response to be like, okay, there must be something really great going on in there because lots of people (laughs) want to be there. What is it? I don't know what it is, but I guess I want it. So (laughs) when your cohort of people, however you're identifying that, it could be, you know, evangelicals, it could be millennials, it could be uh, women comics in New York City, whatever identity group you're sort of affiliating with, when they're doing a thing, it automatically becomes more persuasive to you in a very, very deep way because it's not a reasoned thinking argument. It is a feeling of belonging. And in Mm -hmm. 2008, with Barack Obama, as you captured perfectly, voting for Barack Obama, it's like the way that, you know, you don't, you're not just a possessor of a Mac, you're a Mac person, right? And like a Mac person is a different thing than a PC person and Mac, Apple, they were able to do that. And that was a big part of their entire marketing was not, this is a product you buy, but an identity that you have. It used to be the case and this predates all of us, that if you were working class in America, I'm talking about under FDR, if you were working class, you were a Democrat. You didn't vote Democratic. You were 
a Democrat, it was part and parcel of your identity in the way that for some people, and here is where the analogy will not hold because I don't know shit about sports, but in the way that some people like our Warriors people or our Patriots, you know, that those are two sports teams and I'm done. I can't name anymore. <laughs> so not me. Uh, so first, making political engagement and participation part of identity, that was there in the resistance. That was there in, you know, the moment that Trump was actually sworn in. It became cool to read the news, pay attention to the news, listen to the news, have the, you know, poster that all suburban white women had, the like, in this house, we believe, I don't know if it made it to New York, but maybe you know what I'm talking (laughs) about. Mm -hmm. So that has waned as people have become understandably you know, mired in their own lives as human beings do. And what we need to be able to do and recreate in this election is that feeling of this is simply what we do, which brings us to patriotism and the sticky, complex relationship that the left has with patriotism. The way that I think about it is that America has always, from before its founding, been an argument It has been an argument between a extraordinarily wealthy white few land-owning men, as written into our founding documents, who wanted to make a place where they could obviously destroy the native population, steal people from Africa, and enforceably enslave them to make them work. And that is a reality. That is our nation. That is our history. And at the same time, America has also been a place that has been in a constant prolonged struggle to make real the promises in those founding documents of liberty and justice for all. It's why we have had an abolition movement. It's why we have had a women's rights movement. It's why we have an LGBT movement. Throughout time, America has been this argument, right? We saw it in Reconstruction, and then it shrunk back and the whiplash back in Jim Crow. We saw it with FDR and then the shrinking back with neoliberalism. We saw it in the election of our black president, Barack Obama, and of course the whiplash back with Trump. This is the fundamental fight that we are having around America. We've always had it. It is a fight, I believe, between freedom for all and fascism. That is really it in its most stark terms. And unless and until we name it that and we understand it in that way, we will continue to be the frog in the boiling water, as you described earlier, where it's like, well, is it really that bad? Is it really? Oh, no, now they did this. Oh, no, now they did that. And then, sorry, friends, but the water's boiling and now you're frog's legs and someone's going to eat you and it's too late. In the places like in Pennsylvania in 2022, When Democrats and the movement behind them articulate for voters what the MAGA threat is and that it really truly is our freedoms on the line and that we are the ones we've been waiting for, we turn out in record numbers. 2018 was a threefold increase in voter participation from the last midterms. That kind of increase in voter participation had not occurred since women got the vote, i.e. we changed the denominator on who could vote. Unparalleled, huge. In 2022, in the 15 states that Democrats won, we replicated that massive voter increase, that massive participation on the side of Democratic voters in the 35 states, including New York, including California, where we did not win, voter turnout was down Mm. as Mm. predicted in the red wave. 2022 was two separate elections. It was an election of a blue undertow, as my colleague Mike Podhorzer named it, and a red wave. When people understand that their freedoms are on the line, as Governor Shapiro made really, really deliberate and clear, they understand that it's about abortion. They understand that it's about their kids' freedom to learn. They understand that it's about whether and when we're actually going to get to pick our own leaders. They turn out for all of those freedoms. 
when they think, eh, it's just like a normal election and we'll talk about the economy some and Democrats will, you know, promise to be mall security to Republicans RoboCop. We'll just talk about crime, too. And is it also when- that like we're we're like, oh, and I live in New York, so it's fine. Is, is that part of the stuff that makes us kind of not turn out? It's I mean, you know, we could have an entire show about everything the New York Democratic Party did wrong and there would be seven <laughs> it would be the least funny show that could ever be had because it would just be me screaming like painting and expressing my anger and frustration it's partly like oh it doesn't really matter but in New York you can see Democrats chose to run a traditional campaign and just simply rebut and rebuff right-wing talking points. Hi, if you're responding, you're losing. If you want to win the debate, you have to set the terms. They agreed to have an election that was like, we're also going to be tough on crime. We also hate immigrants. If you tell voters (laughs) that this election is a contest for who is the bigger asshole, I promise you you're going to lose because regardless of how well Democrats put in effort to be big assholes on a lot of dimensions, yeah, I'm being very honest, Republicans are always going to take that trophy. When instead we define the terms of debate as who is going to take away your freedoms and who is going to ensure that you decide whether and when you have kids, that you get to cast your vote and have it counted, that your kid can read the truth of history, that your kid can go to school and not get shot there. When voters consider the election to be around those questions, they turn out and they turn out for Democrats. When we fight along traditional lines around who loves the economy best or who can be more xenophobic, then that is where voters get muddled. The Democratic base is like, whatever, I don't even care and I live in New York, it doesn't matter. Imagine, and then I'll stop, I promise, (laughs) If New Yorkers had understood that their vote was a vote to make Mike Johnson the Speaker of the House, because you not turning out, yeah, you're still going to have legal access to abortion. So am I because of the respective states we live in. Not turning out was a vote to make a white Christian nationalist Speaker of the House. That's what New York did. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sorry. I uh, I turned out for the record. Um but but yes, I feel shame for for yes, my state. That's fascinating. That's um, not okay, my message. Let, That's not that, what I'm going to say to no, people. Yeah. That's my political analysis. No, 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 no. That's yes. no. It's fantastic. and you know what? We needed to hear it. I have one last question and we we we're, we're going long on this segment, but I do think it's so important. So I just have one last question for for regular just humdrum comedians like me and Katie and then also for just all of the non-comedians out there um what what is a person to do in 2024 do you have any like tips yes for us, us average voters <laughs> yeah tell us what to do yeah what I would say you know it depends on how big your appetite Uh, There are six states that matter in a presidential election. Sadly, you don't live in one. I don't live in one. Uh, Those six states probably well known to you, right? They're Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Nevada, and Arizona. Uh, the, The election is going to hinge like it always does at around 1%. of one way or the other in those states. And so the name of the game is turnout. It is turnout in those places. What you can do is you can pick one of those places and you can choose to adopt a race. You can choose to adopt a county. You can get involved with a thing like Sister District or Swing Left or Indivisible if that's your level of appetite and say, you know, for me, it's all Michigan. I'm all in. Or for me, I'm from Wisconsin. I'm all in. That way you can actually get to know a county. You can know who's running for Congress. You can have like things and information to say about those people. You don't need to learn everything about everywhere. And you can call and you can contact voters only in that one place about which you can become an expert. So that is like a pretty far in thing. 
what you can do if you're not prepared to go that far in. And if you are, God bless you. We need you. What you can do is you can start creating social proof within your own circles. And you can say, you know what? Is this the choice that I want to have? Do I want to be having a choice between Biden and Trump? Fuck no. I don't. Let's be honest. But <laughs> no what... more Biden's old jokes. <laughs> right. No more Biden's old jokes. Yeah. Um, What you can do is you can say the truth, which is that elections are merely the way or are one lever at our disposal. And they're the lever like basically that give us the ability to pull the other levers. And so right now, what we need to do is we need to bear down and ensure that we are here to fight for the world that we actually want and deserve and to create the terrain that enables us to do that, which is the terrain of a democratic administration where high, we still get to vote, high, we still get to live through an ectopic pregnancy, high, our trans kids are not shamed and reviled, high, they can still read books. Is it perfect? Nope. But that is the terrain from which we get to, for example, go on a sag astra strike to actually get done what we want, which happens in many, many other ways and other dimensions. Mm -hmm. Katie, do you uh, do you feel moved? Or are I, you mobilized? I actually do. I mean, I feel I feel you're so brilliant listening to you. I'm like, yes, soaking it in. I feel inspired to write. You know, I, I hear so many people, like I was saying, with Biden's old. He fell off the bicycle. There's a lot of jokes. There's a lot of as a comedian, there's a lot to be gained from making fun of the person that we're all supposed to be liking. But yeah. I think, you know, there's a lot more jokes Nuance. There's a lot of nuance there, which I think can be equally as funny and also maybe um, help create the social proof, like you were saying. Yeah. I mean, the thing of like, you know, it, it, the, the bandwagon effect of Biden is old rhetoric feels so it's like you know in comedian terms it's like so hack now like it's trump is orange yeah. yeah it's trump is orange she said the tanner on the face it's all of that stuff but like the biden's version is that he's old and i'm like <laughs> um can we challenge ourselves to like say something about the guy um and and you know look i know most comedians don't want to write a Biden joke at all, you know, so this is like but but just in general, I feel like in everyday talk, like it is infectious. You walk into a brunch of your friends wherever you are in the country and someone says, blah, blah, blah. Well, he's so old. And then you're sort of forced into agreeing or like there's this weird social contract where you're like. You, you, we've all agreed that we're gonna think that Biden is old, you know? And like, I am like, let's, we can like just in a really, really micro way just resist that, you know, that narrative. It doesn't have to be all about that, you know? Um, I, and I'm not saying that he isn't old. I'm just like, there's other ways of like, <laughs> we have eyes. Yeah. yeah, like he's old, but I mean, you know, because it's also like, I mean, and I'm not, he's also done some great things that we never yes. talk about. <laughs> yes. Well, I think part of the Biden's old joke is that, you know, for comedy to work, it has to say something that we all as a as a world assume is true. And yeah. for people that aren't really that into politics or they don't know what's going on, right. that's the one thing that they know and can wrap their mind around. But I, I really like maybe the idea of like, here we go again. We're, you know, the what you're saying about the kind of malaise that we're all feeling experiencing almost like a right. deja vu race. of 2020. Like there's something rich and fun and delicious in that. I think that we could dig into comedically. Also, you don't have to talk about Biden. You can make fun of voters. You can make fun of, you know, all the things that young people are doing in lieu of voting, like whatever, downloading the late, you know, like I can't do it. Thank God. My, not my job. But, um, I think that the number one thing that gets people to vote more is to talk about voting. People think it's issues. People think it's oh, candidates. Yeah. It's not true. Um, like 
I said again, people do the thing they think people like them do. Voting is a habituated behavior. It's not unlike exercising. It's not unlike flossing. It's not unlike adhering to a certain kind of a diet. And so honestly, if there were more jokes about voting and why people do it, why they don't do it, um, just having more discourse about the topic of voting would be extraordinarily helpful. There's no reason to oh, talk about the candidates. I love that. And, and by the way, I heard you say that um, when when I met you in that writer's room um, and I immediately, like the next day on the podcast, said the number one thing that gets people to vote is talk is talking about voting. So talk about voting, and then, um, and then we spent weeks, you know, on the podcast, just like being like, "How did you talk about voting?" You know what I mean? Did you pick out a voting outfit? Like, what is your voting ritual? What is that? Like, uh, you know, so, um, so listeners who were around for the last election cycle will remember, um, that fun fun fact which seems like maybe the biggest fact of them all um so thank you so much for bringing that up and now guys this is a you know um a historic first possibly or third time that we got so into topic number two that there is no topic number three this week we are just this is the podcast you we needed it we needed these words of wisdom uh and that's all that's what we're focusing on this week uh and i just want to thank you both so much for joining me on this show um if you do you have any just final final thoughts either you for for the people and 2024. I mean, I'm feeling inspired by chatting with Anad. I knew it was going to be exciting and fun and learning, a learning experience. So thank you. <laughs> Anad. What I would say is it's time to buck the fuck up. And <laughs> uh, I would rather win elections than polls. And yes. we keep winning elections. We really, really do. Look at the track record. From 2018 on, uh, we've been winning and winning and winning in the most unlikely places for the most obvious reason, which is that people would like to keep the limited freedoms that this country affords them. Uh, they don't want to go backwards. They don't want fascists to control us. When they understand that, they show up and we get the job done. I think that Buck the fuck up energy. You know, it's funny. I was in my sexitude dance class, which is taught by legendary <laughs> drag queen Darcy Drollinger. Yes, is, yes, uh-huh. Who is the drag, drag laureate of San Francisco. We are the first, San Francisco, first city with a drag laureate. Go, San Francisco. <laughs> and uh, we were dancing to the Taylor Swift revenge anthem, Look What You Made Me Do. And, you know, we're instructed to, like, think about an ex and, like, channel that energy into making sexy face. There's a lot of making sexy face in that class. That's the core exercise of the class. <laughs> and I, of course, being like a weirdo who's been married for 400 years, uh, just started thinking about this election and really feeling like, who the fuck are these clowns? These white Christian nationalists who want to, you know, reclaim America for like 17 evangelical white men and come and tell me what ought to happen up inside of me and tell my kids whether or not they can fucking wear nail polish and all the rest of the shit that they want to control. And how is it possible that this whole population of people, especially coastal elites, are shaking in our goddamn boots from a bunch of people who hold a press conference in front of Four Seasons Landscaping. These people are idiots. <laughs> These people are clowns. They're troglodytes. And really what I want to leave you with on the comedy front is that what we know about the end of authoritarian rule when we were looking at it and consulting with experts, academics, people who had undermined and usurped authoritarians the world over, they told us over and over again, the key is do not render them strong men. That feeds their narrative, that feeds their choir. Right. When Trump says, I'm going to be a dictator, he is scratching his base's itch. That is not a mistake. That is intentional. What does work is to make fun of them, to cut them down to size, to make it clear that they are an idiot clown show. And how dare we be quaking before them? Are we Americans or Americans? It's time to buck the fuck up. This is our country. 
and we decide what is possible and we decide what happens. Fucking hooray, bravo. That was incredible. Folks, (laughs) you you heard it here. Please take these words with you into 2024 and and feel the the juice, the energy. Um, I would love for the people of Fake Nation to be able to follow you and everything that you do. Uh, Katie, where do they do that? I'm on Instagram at Katie Hannigan forever. Follow her. She's so funny if if you're in New York or wherever she's performing live please go see her and also subscribe to her podcast lady journey um and anat where do people find you uh i'm on the thing i refuse to call other than twitter because obviously i hate myself uh (laughs) at anatosaurus where i try to adhere to my own messaging advice but sometimes it's do as i say not as i tweet uh, all of the messaging guidance that we make is always available open source. Every messaging guide that we have tested empirically is on our website, asocommunications.com, and listen to the podcast. I promise it's happy. It Every is. episode is a campaign we won somewhere in the world. So. Yeah, it is. It's really happy. I love. I really, really love. I've talked about this podcast before. I love this podcast. It's really happy, and it really does help you kind of think things through even if it's just about the way you're gonna go into you know a dinner party with friends i mean it is it's it's help like messaging messaging is is like a part of your everyday life you know all right folks you know where to find me and all things that i do um you i wouldn't really thank everyone who makes this show a possibility that's our wonderful producer andrew mcguire thanks to everyone at headgum for making this show a possibility thank you so much to gabby alter for our wonderful theme music if you have any questions or concerns you could email us at fake the nation podcast at gmail.com thanks to everyone who's been writing me about alternates to meditation um i've gotten chanting which i think is a really good one for me because it's like singing um so keep them coming also i have been dunking my face in ice water for those of you who've been wondering <laughs> i have started dunking my face in ice water it came up last week because allison Libby's doing it i am now doing it and i so far so far so good um more on that <laughs> later uh we will be back in your earballs next week That was a HeadGum Podcast.